This is the Aurelius Podcast, episode 53 with Vivian Castillo. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder at Aurelius and your host for the podcast, where we discuss all things UX, research, and product. In this episode, we have Vivian Castillo. She's the founder at Humanity Centered, which helps UX professionals transform the status quo of what it means to be human-centered in their professional and personal lives. She's also an accomplished author and speaker, having been featured in publications like Slate, Fortune, Fast Company, and The Huffington Post. Vivienne and I had a great conversation about what it means to be human-centered in both your day-to-day job as a UX professional, but also in your personal life and interactions. She has a background in psychology and counseling, which created a very unique perspective in her work later as a UX researcher. We talked about the work her and her team are doing over at Humanity Centered, and how their course and community are helping professionals in the design, tech, and UX fields truly become human-centered in their work and personal lives. She got into the details of how we can start doing the hard work personally to be more human-centered professionally. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the powerful research repository and insights platform. Aurelius is an all-in-one space for researchers to organize and analyze data, capture insights, and share outcomes with your team. You can transcribe audio, visualize themes, capture findings, and have a report created for you automatically, which you can share with anyone in moments. Check us out at AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Okay, let's get to it. Hey, Vivienne. Hello, hello. How's it going? Oh, just another day in paradise, I suppose. It's, <laughs> it's a good thing the world doesn't feel like it's constantly burning, but here we are. Some of the fires went out. Some others got lit. Some of the fires went out. We deal with yes. it as we can, right? I guess. That's all we can do. I really appreciate you jumping on and take the time to chat. In fact, some of the guests that we've had on in even recent past have been like, well, you should definitely have Vivienne on. And I was like, yeah, I know. We, we got that coming. Don't worry. Even some of our guests have, have said like, yeah, well, you, should, you should really have her on. I think, I think there'll be great addition to the mm. podcast. And so we're, we're, I'm glad to finally make it happen. I, I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag and tell them like, don't worry, it's coming. But uh, you know, here we are. I guess with that, could you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about the work that you do and, and your, kind of things that you're passionate about. So for folks listening, if they don't already know who you are, kind of get a sense for what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Vivianne Castillo. I currently live in the land where the pizza runs deep, also known as Chicago. You know, in a former life, I, I have a counseling and human service background, made a career switch into the UX and tech industry. And for me, I've, I've always been really passionate about that deeper human undercurrent to the work. For me, there's there's a time and place to learn about personas, journey mapping, jobs to be done, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm more so interested in the personal work that's required to do our best professional work. So since I've made my career switch into the industry, I tend to talk a lot about things like the role of shame in UX research and design or how self-care is an ethical imperative and and what are some of the mindset shifts that we need to adopt in order to have a more holistically human-centered approach to our work, but also to ourselves? And I am also the founder of a, a growth, a professional growth community called Humanity Centered, where we support professionals who are interested in challenging the status quo of what does it mean to be human-centered, both in their personal and professional lives. We talk about a variety of topics, things like ethics and what does it look like to adopt a maturity framework in your pursuit of ethics in your workplace. We talk about the resistances and barriers to cultural humility and competencies and so on and so forth. And so that's a little bit of me and what I'm about. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, and just to add a little bit of a qualification to that too, a lot of your professional background obviously is UX, but even more specifically UX research, user research, right? And so I think super relevant to me or super obvious as to how that would kind of come out is how do we work on ourselves better to do this work better? Because you're dealing a lot with people even more directly. Exactly. And, you know, in my previous corporate position, I was a researcher and innovation consultant. So I worked primarily with C-level executives of the company's largest customers and helping them to think about how to leverage research in a way that then allows them to have a more holistically human-centered approach to business development and design and strategy. And because of my background in counseling and human services, I was often looped into conversations with executives about the things that get in the way of innovation. So things like fear of failure or shame, and really just leveraging and bridging what I know of UX research, what I know from the counseling human service space in order to help these executives approach old problems in new ways. That's pretty interesting stuff. And one of the things as you were kind of describing your background, the immediate question that came into mind for me was, if this sounds to me like you saw something missing, right, in, uh, yeah. in our field. And I know that <laughs> you're smiling right now. People don't see the video. But I know I'm kind of leading you into this because, you know, I've been following you for a while and we've had we've had some interactions in the past. But mm-hmm. I would love to hear a little bit more detail. And, and certainly I believe people listening would love to hear more on what did you notice that was kind of missing this to say, A, we should start something like humanity centered, but but more importantly, B, this is an issue. These are things that are missing. This is stuff we should work on. And so let's start talking and think about this more intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. So I how I got into the UX and kind of tech industry is really by chance. I kind of stumbled into it. I was in a season of doing deeper trauma study and I had a mentor really encouraged me to find a creative hobby with a beginning and an end. Because at the time I was working in this inpatient recovery home. And, you know, when it comes to counseling, you never finish something like the door is always revolving. And he was just encouraging me to find a creative hobby that had a beginning and an end as a sort of a therapeutic practice into my self-care. And At the time I was living on the East Coast, I thought it'd be really cool to bond with my dad who was in Chicago about software engineering because he was a developer. So I thought it would be neat for me to to learn about code and have us have these like long distance father-daughter nerd dates about that. And, And as I was doing more research into that, learned about programs that were teaching about UX design and specifically UX research. And was really excited at this idea of like, wow, here's this thing where I can bridge my love for people with technology and business, which had always been something I was passionate about. I, at some point, decided to make a career switch and and go all in. And and during that journey was, ended up receiving a scholarship to to attend the O'Reilly Design Conference in San Francisco. Super excited to go. Lots of heads of design and research were going to be there from these large companies like Instagram, Facebook, Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. Super pumped to hear about them talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, being human-centered, being you know empathetic, especially coming from a counseling background. And I remember at the end of this conference, just kind of sitting on my hotel bed and being like, wow, this is bullshit. Just hearing how these companies were talking about being human-centered and being empathetic. And really for me, there's this fine line between pity and empathy. And when you design solutions based out of pity, which isn't really a sustainable motivator, a sustainable output, you increase the chances of causing harm. And so after that, I went, went back home to the East Coast and 
just started to to share my thoughts online about just some of the the hypocrisies I was noticing and really more of a, just a truncated understanding of people. And as I started to do more of that work, more of that writing, started to meet more professionals who were describing symptoms, describing situations that as someone with a counseling background, I recognize that as compassion fatigue. I recognize that as trauma and hearing really, and just really just discovering that a lot of UX professionals, we weren't being holistically supported in this work, this work that requires us to work so closely with the messiness of what it means to be human. That's awesome. I, I appreciate the background. The quote you kind of gave there, which that's huge to me. There's a there's a fine line between pity and empathy is just, that's mm. something that's something in and of itself, right? And we can dig into that. But one of the things that I kind of was hoping to share, you could share more detail on. You don't got to name names or anything, right? But like you saw this and we're like, this is bullshit. Well, like this isn't, we're not talking about this the right way. Here's the reason I ask about that, right? Is because I think a lot of the the steps forward that we need to make is recognizing, A, if we are saying bullshit, right? As people, as teams, as companies, and like understanding why that's the case. Can you share any more there? Like maybe some of the things that you heard and like why essentially that's bullshit. Yeah, I think for me, I'll share a couple of my hypotheses I've been chewing on. So I feel like in the last few years or so, we've noticed this spike, this interest in things like ethics and diversity, equity, and inclusion in design. My theory as to why that is, is we now have four generations in the workplace. When you think a lot about that first wave of UX leaders, first, second wave of UX leaders, a lot of them are white. A lot of them are able-bodied and a lot of them tend to fall in the generations of baby baby boomers and Gen X. And so I think with that comes an interesting perspective on the way that we see people. I think that a lot of the leaders come from very privileged points of view. So that also plays a role in kind of like that initial foundation of how UX and design and how we talk about how it was built. But also, to their credit, that first wave or two of UX leaders were really just trying to prove relevance when it came to UX and the need for UX best practices and teams and so on and so forth. And so now we have these four generations in the workforce. You have also Gen Z millennials who tend to be, we're more diverse generations. We are more comfortable having some of these conversations in the workplace, whereas with older generations, there was often this mindset, this notion of, oh, you, you don't really talk about this. It's, it's inappropriate. It's, it's, it's too political, et cetera, et cetera. And so now what I believe is we are needing to shift from this pursuit of relevance to a desire for maturity. And so now what you have is, again, you have these four generations in the workforce. You have this you know, group of leaders who've been able to rise to this level of expertise, this level of, of recognition without having to develop any of the competencies or expertise in things like diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, how do you have a more ethical approach to your work? Because when you're part of the majority, you're not always thinking about ways of not causing harm to people. Whereas if you are from marginalized or minority communities, you're constantly aware of that. And so I think that plays a huge factor into what I sense is really immaturity when it comes to understanding what does it mean to be human-centered. And the last thing that I'll say is... I think that UX, I think we're a younger industry, and I think we have done a huge disservice to our community by not learning from other industries 
other areas of study that have been engaging in human-centered work for far much longer than us. And with that comes a lack of support. With that comes a lack of understanding about just the ways that we work with people and some of our ethical responsibilities and even just awareness of how we can cause harm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the way you were describing how UX kind of came up and came to be, it almost reminded me of just like Maslow's hierarchy kind of thing, right? Like the, the, the first things we, everybody was trying to do in the UX was survive, it was, you know, inside an organization improves, as you said, its relevance or its value. And now you've come to this, not, not you specifically, but like we have come to this point where it's like, well, some of the stuff we were doing isn't, it's not all, it's not all good. It's not all like comprehensive in terms of thinking across the board of the people we impact and the people we serve. And so that's, yeah, I mean, it's, really, it's just kind of what popped into my mind as you were describing it as like, we've now kind of come up that hierarchy and there's a lot of influence and ability to be looking at this and, and being a lot more mindful of the kind of things that we build and we put out into the world, not just, is it successful for the business or not, right? Yeah. And for me, I think one of the reasons, again, why we're becoming more mindful of it is because we have uh, younger and more diverse generations who are entering the workforce and who are like, hmm, how come we aren't talking about these things? And to be honest, and again, I think I'm, I'm probably known for being a little bit more frank and to the point, but I, I kind of operate out of this belief that there are just, I do think that there is a, a group of UX leaders who just aren't equipped to, to lead us in this area of maturity when it comes to being equitable, when it comes to being inclusive. And that's okay. And I think we need to, we need to learn how to be humble, more humble with what we know and what we don't know. Because when I came to this industry, honestly, like one of the greatest occupational hazards that I viewed and experienced early on was how pride is probably one of the greatest occupational hazards within UX. And so, so yeah. Yeah, totally. And I'm curious based on your observations, because there's one thing to say, well, you're not totally equipped to do this. You can say that to anybody about any skill or sort of attribute about their personality, whatever it is, right? And then you basically have a choice from there is you have, a, you, you have the ability to say, oh, well, then I should learn more about that and I should get better about that. Or the other side of that is maybe get defensive, push back against it, dismiss it, whatever the case may be. I'm curious based on your observations. You talk about this. You think about this a lot. I do. Are these leaders, <laughs> are these leaders and these people what side are we falling on here? Is it because they just haven't gained that knowledge and forced themselves or, or looked how to improve? Or is it because we're dismissing it? It might be a combination too, but I'm just kind of curious what you're seeing. Yeah. So, so you, you presented two, two paths. One is said leaders could study up, learn up and become better at being leaders in these areas. Two, they could be defensive and just kind of shut down. I'm going to offer a third option. And I think that third option is for those leaders to not waste their privilege and to instead leverage it on behalf of others and lifting up other voices that do come from more diverse experiences and backgrounds so that they can help move the industry towards maturity. And, and I get it. Like, I think what, what this ends up doing is it, it brings about a larger conversation around power and influence. I understand that there, I think, Deep down, we all have a desire to be relevant, but I think when it comes to maturity, I think that these leaders do have an amazing opportunity to leverage their platform, to lift others up, to speak on topics that they aren't equipped to deal with. So for example, if, if one of these leaders is not known to be a, an expert or a voice in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, 
should they be a coach at a conference where they're coaching speakers who are speaking on topics related to diversity, equity, inclusion? Should they position themselves as a leader in that space and take up speaking opportunities, presentation opportunities that other people are way more qualified for? No, they shouldn't. And I think that there's, again, a need for humility and understanding that, hey, we need to start to shift from a desire for relevance to a desire for maturity and the cost that that's going to, to put on us. That makes a ton of sense. As you talk about that too, we're kind of talking at like a macro level right now, right? Where there's, uh, across the industry, there's things that we can think about. I think we can all hold each other accountable too. Talk to me a little bit more about what, even the work you're doing at Humanity Centered, right? Where you, you're kind of working with people quite literally like coaching and mentoring and trying to help folks, you know, do this themselves, do some of the work for themselves. And how does it differ there when that happens on an individual level? Yeah, well, I think a lot. So within Humanity Centered, we are trying to introduce a couple mindset shifts, especially when it comes to professional growth and development. I think a lot of times when it comes to work around diverse equity, inclusion, work around influencing stakeholders, we tend to approach that as a solo journey. When in reality, it should be a shared one because this work is hard. This work can be discouraging. And so for us, we're really interested in building a community of folks who are interested in doing this work, who want space to fail, want space to mess up, and yet can be encouraged and supported through that. So that's one thing that I think is different that we're trying to do. Another thing as well is, and part of this too, I remember reading this, I think it was a tweet where It was talking about the difference between an audience and a community. And it said an audience is one to many and a community is many to many. And when I look at the UX industry and community, I see a lot of the audience mindset and the audience point of view of, hey, here is one said leader. Everyone listen, adopt their gospel and spread it forth. But for us, we're interested in creating spaces and moments of connection where we can learn from each other we can sharpen each other. And so even within the community, we have something called member share outs where we have folks in the community share about things that they're experimenting with within their workplace or an idea that they've been grappling with that has influenced their approach to their personal and professional development where, and then we break out into small group discussions and we kind of grapple with those ideas together. Another example is we're having a spontaneous group discussion next week where we're going to be talking about Yeah, what's the difference between reforming some of these systems that lead to inequity and injustice versus dismantling them? What does that mean to us? What does that look in our work and also our personal lives? And so trying to create these many-to-many moments and really kind of equal out some of those power dynamics. So again, we can more as a community move towards maturity versus this individualistic pursuit of relevance. That's awesome. The, the one thing I really appreciated, really, really well said, is how you draw the distinction between audience and community. That's, yeah. that's really, that was really, really well said. And it's interesting too, because I, I don't consider myself a gray beard in, in the industry or anything yet, but I've, I've been around in like early UX Twitter days and I remember what it was. And it certainly was kind of almost the former, right? And wow. I have, I have absolutely seen a big shift where there's, at least lately, you know, I don't know that I've been paying any attention to it anywhere near as acutely as I think you probably have, but I've definitely noticed a big shift of the whole more many to many now. And I've even seen some pretty good progress on that in conferences because it used to be 
And this was one of my biggest beefs, which is why I started go, stopped going to conferences for a, a, long, a long while, mm. several years ago. So it was a lot of the same people talking about a lot of the same things. And it was like, well, we've heard this. We've heard this talk. This one's different. It has new slides or whatever, but it's essentially the same thing. And I'm, I'm kind of seeing that. So I just kind of wanted to yeah. you know, note that as really well said there and really well articulated because I hadn't considered it that way. But I also wanted to ask you, as you were talking about that and you know what you're trying to do with Humanity Centered, are you finding leaders, people who have the power to really push us forward, coming to Humanity Centered, wanting to be part of that community, you know, not not an audience and then you know why or why not yeah that's a great question and before i jump into that i want to address something that you said earlier i mean the the one to many and the many to many thing i didn't create that idea of something i saw somewhere on in the twitterverse and was super inspired by that but again i've worked in the innovation consulting space so i know the power of having those many to many moments i know that that breathe breathes creativity and innovation into approaching old problems in new ways. And so that's something we're trying to replicate on a community scale. And when it comes to leaders, I mean, when I look at Humanity Centered and who's been a part of it, I mean, we have folks who are literally still in college or they're doing a boot camp or some short uh, term intensive program, all the way to well-known industry leaders that are in our field. So some of them have publicly endorsed a Humanity Centered in their experience with it. You know, folks in the young, or Jared Spool. We also have folks who are maybe in what I would say UX adjacent industries. So we have journalists, we have folks who have their master's in public health, we have some nurses in there, and, and even some educators. So we kind of we kind of run the gamut. And I think that's what makes this space really unique and special is you have people who are in different points of their career, but really at the end of the day is this desire to learn and to grow both personally and professionally. That's yeah, super cool. I didn't actually realize that the the sort of the roster or the enrollment was so diverse in that way in terms of professional diversity. That's really, that's really interesting. I'm curious as folks come to Humanity Centered, I mean, what do you, what do you feel like the biggest thing they're looking for is like, what's the biggest question or the, you know, the, the, the most common thing that they want to work on or they're hoping Humanity Center can help with? Yeah. I mean, I do think in general people, so I'll say this, as a therapist, you have people who come to you and they have a presenting problem. And more times than not, that's not the actual problem or the thing that they want support in. So I think a lot of times we have folks come to Humanity Centered and they're coming with questions. How do I be more intentional in creating accessible experiences? How do I have a more equitable approach to the research recruiting process? So I think a lot of folks come to Humanity Center with those types of questions and thoughts and so on and so forth. But I think what we're noticing, and we do a lot of internal research to, to see what are the deeper topics and things that people want support in so that we can then provide such support is really a lot of people are, are coming to Humanity Centered because they're wanting support in how do I navigate profit-driven capitalistic systems? How do I navigate these incredibly political power dynamics that happen in corporate settings? How do I heal from workplace trauma and understand the way that that impacts the way I collaborate with people and the way that I interpret other folks and their intentions on my team? And so really what we're noticing is, yes, they want support in doing these very practical things that influence their practice as a UX professional, but they want help removing the barriers, 
the resistances, the, the things that cause harm from working in capitalistic settings so that they can do that other work well. That makes sense. It sounds a lot like what we would do in UX research too, right? Is we hear one thing and, we'll, and our job is really to kind of get to the bottom of that. We hear, yeah. we hear the symptom, but we don't hear the cause. And so there's work to be done to get to the sort of the root cause and figure that out and start working on that. Exactly. So what happens next, right? They, they come there. What are they finding in humanity centered and what, what is the work that they're doing there to, <laughs> to help them address some of that stuff? Yeah, so we offer a five-week live cohort experience called the Humanity Centered Masterclass. And within that experience, they are put into what we call pods. So these are are small groups of other individuals who, through a self-assessment, we help design these pods so that you are placed with individuals who are in a similar place to their journey, as well as wanting some of the same outcomes of this journey of participating in this experience. And so they have those five weeks, they're going through this live lecture content that myself and my and the other facilitators are teaching. They have these moments where they break into these small groups to unpack some of that work. They have these different homework assignments that, you know, play within that line of personal growth as well as professional growth. And then after they are done with this five-week live dynamic experience, they then have access to the humanity-centered community. And within that community, each month we have a different theme. Those themes are influenced from research that we've done with the community about areas where they want deeper dives into, areas where they want more support in. And within those months, typically, we have a theme. We have a couple member share outs that are sharing. These are folks in the community who are just sharing back their work and we're discussing it. So again, these many to many moments. We have these, these random meetup groups for other members to meet with each other. We'll talk about a topic. We're training and giving people tools on even just mindfulness and how to ground yourself when you're feeling anxious, how to be more aware of yourself and what you're bringing into this work. We bring a variety of of guest webinar speakers to help us understand and unpack what does it mean to be more holistically human-centered in our work? How do we influence? How do we navigate these capitalistic systems? We've had speakers like Ellen McGirt, who is an award-winning journalist writes the column Race Ahead at Fortune. She's also a member of Humanity Centered. We've had folks like Sam Rappaport, who's one of the heads of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the NFL, sharing with us thoughts, tips, strategies, ideas on how to influence in capitalistic systems. So we, we have a mix of, and then we have, we brought in other UX professionals as well to, to speak to the community. So we, we bring a mix of UX and UX adjacent voices to help us, again, develop a more well-rounded, holistic approach to our work and to ourselves. That's awesome. That's really, really cool, especially to hear, I mean, just like some of the folks that you have speaking there. I mean, really practicing what you're saying you want to to bring into the world is like, well, we're not just, we don't just have a UX or design leader type folks or, you know, people in that industry talking about this. We really, we're really trying to do 360 and bring everybody in. Right. Although I am curious, you know, because most of the people listening to our show, I would imagine are in UX, UX research product management, kind of digital world in some way. Mm-hmm. What's the bullet list for them, right? What you're fine, because you've come from UX research. And so you, again, you're clearly the expert on this. And so it's, if somebody were to come to you and just go, man, look, I'm trying to figure out how to do this well. What do you say to people? How do you, what's the, what I mean, like, what's the bullet list, the checklist of here's at least how you get started and start doing this a little bit better in our, in our field specifically. When you say doing this better, 
What's well, I mean, just to kind of working on yourself, because I know a lot of the things yeah, yeah. you talk about too is like self-care and then also being yes. mindful about this. What would that checklist be? It's just if somebody only had an hour to listen to a podcast and at least get some tips from the expert, what would, what would yeah. you say to them? Well, I'll share this gem that my therapist shared with me. I am obviously pro-therapy. My therapist is great. And I remember one day she asked me, she was, who is Vivianne outside of what she can produce? And I was like, what? And I think, I think that's a really great question for people to start thinking about. Like, who are you outside of what you can produce? And really what that question does is it starts to pick a little bit at that, that tension between who you are as a person and who you are in relationship to your work. And I think that's really helpful because I think a lot of us tend to tie our value into work, our value into the, you know, set impact we're having in our work. And I think that that is a really good place to start to understand where you are grounded in doing this work. The other thing that I encourage people to do is just to take personal inventory. You know, what are the things that maybe brought light to you and excitement to you in the beginning of your career that isn't necessarily doing that now? How, what does your self-care regimen, if at all, look like? How has that changed over time? What are your stress and anxiety triggers within work? And again, these are questions just to draw a greater sense of awareness of what you're bringing into this work, how you're relating to people in this work, because until you can't really understand how you relate to people until you have a deeper understanding of how you relate to yourself. The other thing that I encourage people to do as well is to think about ways that we have made compromises in our work life and in the organizations that we work for. And again, I think to some point, like we all have to do that, but I think for some, it's probably caused a lot more harm or a lot more discouragement than they maybe had anticipated. Because for me, what I'm really interested in, what Humanity Center is interested in, is how do we support UX professionals, folks in tech, in a way where they can do this work in these capitalistic settings and not lose themselves? It's really hard to do, especially when we are being tasked with being human-centered, with advocating for folks in these systems that, if we're being honest, don't fully want you and us to acknowledge our humanity. That might not be the the hottest selling point of working in these corporations, but I think once we start to get honest about the systems that we're working in, we can start to get more clear on how we need support, ways that we haven't been supported, and changes in our boundaries and in our approach to work and ourselves that we need to make. There's a lot you just shared there. Uh, Several like really, really insightful points I kind of want to go back and summarize a, a couple of them if I can, just for folks listening. So the first one being, as you talk with your therapist, the question you got is, who are you that's not attached to what you, what your outcome is or what you produce at work? Yeah. It's really <laughs> huge. I mean, it, it, honestly, just to consider how many people have actually stopped to ask themselves that recently. Yeah. And I can imagine just seeing how you responded to that, knowing that you think about this a lot, it's still, that's got to feel pretty difficult to answer sometimes, right? Even if you do this, if you think about this a lot. So that's the first one. And the second one being kind of recognizing your role and where we are. I think being real about that. And again, it's one of the things that I too had for a long time, I kind of had a real problem with, uh, especially sort of towards where UX went. I think we're coming out of this curve, but for a long while there, I saw it becoming essentially the next industrial revolution, except in design. It was everything was about 
sort of operationalizing design and how can we do it more efficiently and and at greater scale with this quality. But there was less questions about, are we doing the right things? Are we doing the right things for the right people and and stuff like that? And so looking at that system at the very least and going, I think there should be more to this. Maybe they're, you know, that we're not talking about. And then, yeah, checking in with yourself and looking at places where maybe you didn't like that before, I think is the third one for me, you know, at least because there's nothing you can do about that, but what it can, what it can do, it sounds to what you're suggesting is help you identify moving forward. Exactly. Places that, places that you can be more mindful today, tomorrow. There's nothing you can do about it in the past, but it'll help you recognize that going forward. Yeah. And I think a part of that, part of this work that I've been doing, I think part of hearing what the community has expressed, what they want and need is it's one of the reasons why we're actually creating a new self-paced course called Healing Conversations a guide to overcoming unspoken hardships in the workplace. This course is going to be done in partnership with a licensed therapist by the name of Jarrell. He works for his practice called Viva Wellness. And inside this course, you know, we're going to be talking and unpacking things like overcoming the pervasiveness and pain of moral injury in the workplace. Now, if you aren't familiar with moral injury, moral injury is the psychological and emotional harm that comes from working in systems and environments that violate your values or your conscience. I think a lot of people tend to, but even though people may think that they're experiencing symptoms of burnout, they're probably experiencing more so symptoms of moral injury. We'll be talking about in this course, moving towards a a trauma-informed workplace, unpacking unspoken conversations on diversity, equity, inclusion. So things like performative allyship and gaslighting cultures and how does that influence the the way that we relate to each other, developing greater self-awareness and embracing empathy in our work and so on and so forth. And, you know, I think for me, I, you know, I've recently exited out of corporate America. And I think one of the things that came from that was actually before that, I actually took some time off from corporate America. I took, I took a little bit of leave because I just, I needed to heal and I needed to rest. And one of the greatest things that I got from my leave was clarity, clarity about what I'm passionate about, clarity about who I am outside of what I can produce. But really, I I got a taste of what it was to operate out of freedom instead of fear. And I came to more clarity around my desire to help people in UX and in tech who are unhealed. I just feel like there's so, so many of us who are hurting, so many of us who have had really traumatic, unhelpful workplace experiences, so many of us who come into this industry wanting to help, wanting to change, wanting to support things for the better and being stopped on, being dismissed. And so there's just so much unhealedness, if that's a word, that's in the industry. And Humanity Center wants to be a space where not only you can start to heal and recover from that, but where you can flourish. And, and, and I love that idea of, man, like, what would it look like? What would it look like if instead of surviving our workplaces, we were able to really flourish? And that excites me. And that that gets me going every day. That's perfect. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you is fast forward to however far in the future from now, Humanity Centered has accomplished any of the goals you've set out for it. It has become exactly what you wanted. What does the world look like then? What it, what has changed and what has improved for you through what the work Humanity Center would have done? That's a great question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is I want people 
to recognize the power of their voice and to step into it. I think, you know, that we, a lot of us work in environments and settings that really try to dampen your voice and the power of it. So I, I have a vision that you have a wave of UX and tech professionals who are more confident in using their voice and more willing to speak out on things that violate the ideals around being human-centered, empathetic, and equitable. I have a vision of a lot of UX and, and folks in tech being able to then climb into these positions, these higher positions with more decision-making power to influence these organizations at, at a larger level. I have a vision of just more accountability. I think I just think that there is such a gross level of like the lack of account, the lack of accountability in this industry is is kind of mind-boggling. And so I think that I, I do think some I do think certain leaders need to be held accountable. I think that there are certain ideas that we need to revisit and say, hey, we've made growth and progress since since this idea was first put out, and that's fine. But let's just let's move on and start adopting that progress instead of holding on to what we think is going to make us relevant. I have a vision for just uh, a new wave of voices who represent the communities and societies that we're trying to, to serve. You know, when, when people think about UX leaders and they, they name off the first five that come to mind, that they're not all folks in the majority. Like that's the dream. And so I'm excited to, to support those professionals within Humanity Centered and to, to support them on, on their educational, professional, and personal growth journey. I am so happy that I asked that and I got to watch you answer it. And I feel really bad that we don't show video on this because I just have to say, as you were answering that, I really wish people could kind of see your reaction and how excited you were about that. Unfortunately, yeah. it's only audio, but I'll just have to kind of vouch for everybody to say like, it's really cool to hear you talk about your mission and what you and what you want to do. I do want to bring it back to the one part about accountability. I'd love to learn. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Just kind of what's the nitty gritty there? What's the details? Because I feel like a lot of us, it doesn't matter who you are and how, how, how much you're trying to be mindful about this stuff. Accountability to me is uh, it's kind of a big deal. And, and I was just curious if you could share some more detail, kind of what you have in the back of your mind on that. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is design Twitter. What a trash fire. Like... <laughs> Just a trash fire is design Twitter. And I think really when we talk about design Twitter, most of us are actually talking about like 10 people, like the same 10 people who, you know, debate the same frivolous things. So I think part of that accountability is not fanning those flames. If people want to spout off the same debates of should designers code, like why? How is that adding towards maturity? Yeah, but it's Twitter, right? So people engage with it and whatever. And so I think one way accountability looks in that is to just not engage that. Like, it's just, there's no purpose to it. It's not beneficial to the community. Just like, leave it be. The other thing is, so for example, what's this? June of 2020, June, July, when, you know, America was burning. I remember that there was this well-known UX publication company and they issued out a letter and it was a letter addressing what was happening in the country, but it wasn't like, they didn't even mention racism literally didn't even the word black didn't even appear in there once and it was just this very like soft but not addressing the issue type of letter and I remember tweeting about it and at first it didn't get any traction there was a lot of folks from the majority who were praising it and it only started to get acknowledged and addressed by that publication company once I started tagging some of the authors and being like, hey, did you know that your publisher is issued this letter that actually doesn't address any, any of the problems that's going on? 
So like accountability there. I think sometimes we we see things that we know it doesn't look human centered. We know that it's very truncated, but we just keep it to ourselves. And again, that that goes into using your voice and, and calling a spade a spade. But also I think with accountability is giving credit where credit's due. And again, that's that shift from relevance to maturity. So I remember reading an article that credited this design leader with predicting that diversity, equity, inclusion was going to be a hot, a hot topic in 20, in 2020. And I was, why is that leader getting that credit? That's ridiculous because that definitely was being talked about by a lot of people way before that. And especially people who aren't from the majority. And so just things that where it's like, there's enough glory. There's enough praise for everyone to have some, just, just share it. Like it's okay. You're going to be okay. If someone else also gets credit for work that they're doing. Yeah. You know, in the, the word you use frivolous debate, I think is, I think is no better way to describe that and kind of what goes on in some of that. And I have yet to really understand why that's the case. And I have seen it change. And, and speaking of credit, I have to say, give credit to you and a a number of other people who I sort of follow. And I I see kind of pushing that to to kind of refocus us on, let's talk about things that actually can help. But, you know, I, there's, I just feel there's so many things that go into why those frivolous debates occur, but I'm really, the, the way that's, that's the best way of saying it's frivolous. So it's, if you're in a place where you've got everything else sorted out and you're looking for something to talk about, then let's debate on whether or not designers should code. But I don't really feel we're there yet. So let's bring up the conversations that should can really give us progress, so to speak, as opposed to rehashing the same old stuff. Exactly. It's, it's distracting and it keeps us from maturity. Like for me, when I see those, honestly, those same 10, 15 people debate frivolous things, I'm like, oh, you don't care about maturity. You care about relevance. And uh, you're not my ministry. I'm not trying to you know, persuade you to, to become more mature if you are already bought into this pursuit of relevance. So there's a lot of really great leaders who are doing actual meaningful work in this space. And I think we could just do a better job at, at highlighting some of those folks and, and the work that they're doing. So I think of Creative, Creative Reaction Lab. They're doing such incredible work in this space. And, you know, I think about uh, Tatiana Mack is, is another individual who's always like pushing conversations on the platform and actually using their platform to challenge the status quo with some of these things. And what, what would it look like if we actually tried to be more intentionally human centered? Just try. Just try. Yeah. Because last, last thought, I'll say this. I think a lot of people get hung up on, oh, there's so much to do. This is something that's going to take time and it's okay. We could say that, but tell me how you've tried today. Tell me how you tried this past week. I think a lot of people just get really stuck on the, oh, there's so much to do. Oh, I don't know where to begin. Tell me how you tried to figure out where you should begin today, this week, this past month, this year. I think a lot of people use it as an excuse to cover their apathy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, so such a good point too, and and very relevant because obviously, you know, we're still in a global pandemic and we are not completely out of the woods on that yet. And the reason I bring that up is because prior to that, prior to COVID happening in full swing, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, here's all the reasons why we can't do that thing. And in my opinion, of all the tragedy that COVID has caused, right, there's a lot of good that will and actually has already come out of that because it's forced people to think differently 
And rather than come up with all the reasons why something can't happen or why it's too hard or this or that, it has caused a shift in thinking from people like, let's find all the ways in which we can do that, or at least try some of the things, you know, I have seen some of that. And I, I, I really, the silver lining to all this is I'm encouraged that even some people I know personally, I have seen a shift in their mindset, um, mm. which, which suggests to me that people are willing to think a little bit differently moving forward as to, well, it's not all just what's too hard or here's the reasons why not, or it's going to take a lot of time. They're starting to, they're starting to be more opportunity minded, you know, mm. possibility minded as opposed to being comfortable. And uh, someone we had on the podcast recently mentioned specifically relevant to this topic that there is, there is no change. There is no progress without discomfort. And I feel a lot of people are willing to acknowledge and work through that. It was actually uh, Timothy uh, Bardlevens who who said that. Yeah, It was an amazing, it was an amazing thing. He said that I just, I would, I would be interested in hearing somebody try and debate that, but it's just, it's extremely true. You can't, oh, there, sure. there, there will be no change without discomfort. That, that's for the better or the worse, by the way. But yeah. like, you know, we say we want it to be better. There's no change without discomfort. And so I think a lot of people are starting to at least see that we've got work to do, but. Yeah. I mean, Timothy and I were having that conversation. Uh, it's like a few weeks or so ago about like, the reality is people, people say they want more diverse and equitable, you know, experiences. They want to be part of creating that. They want to be part of that change. What people aren't asking is, how much am I willing to suffer to see that be a reality? Like that's, I get it. It's not like a way to win over the masses, but you want to talk about change at like a, a system infrastructural level. How willing are you going to be to suffer for it? How willing are you going to be to push back in that meeting when you see that same person constantly being disrespected? How willing are you to say no to a decision that you know is going to cause harm and have to potentially deal with the consequences of that in your workplace setting because you said no? How willing are you to challenge friends, family, and their ideologies outside of the workplace because you know that you're able to understand the impact that has on experiences within the workplace? And so, yeah, I 100% agree. And I think when it comes to 2020 and this pandemic, I think that for folks in the majority specifically, there came this realization of you can no longer dichotomize the personal from the professional. Folks who are marginalized minorities, you know, as a Black woman in corporate America, like I've always known that I cannot dichotomize my personal life from my professional life. Like that's just it just, it bleeds over. But I think what 2020 did was it showed people like, oh, like if someone is experiencing suffering, oppression, injustice outside of the workplace, that impacts the workplace. And so you have this pandemic that made people realize like, oh, like you can't dichotomize the two. And it made people more aware. My greatest concern though specifically for folks in the majority, is empathetic endurance. You know, in June and July, we saw a lot of book clubs. We saw a lot of shallow promises from corporations. We stand with X community that is experiencing violence at the hands of white supremacy, although they wouldn't say white supremacy. So we saw a lot of that in June and July. And right now, I kind of want to be like, oh, how, are y'all still in those book clubs? How's uh, taking initiative over your own learning journey still going? Is that, is, is that still a thing or is it just, it's not a hot topic anymore? Like what's happening? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and kind of getting back to your point, tell me what you've tried. Even more relevant to the, to the point we were just discussing, show me the discomfort you've gone through. Because it's nice to talk about this. It's nice to, I mean, listen, I will not acknowledge that recognizing 
is a, is a good first step. And so I think we have seen a little bit more of that at scale, but yeah, you know, it's like, show me what you've done. Show me what you've tried. Show me where the discomfort was and when sort of what came out of that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people love to jump to Martin Luther King Jr. quotes, things like that. Talk about John Lewis, these other civil rights leaders. Those people suffered for change. Are you willing to? And I think that's a, that's a real question that, especially within UX and design, that we need to ask ourselves, are you willing to suffer to advance more equitable, inclusive experiences? Completely. Awesome. I'm looking at the time and I realize I got to be respectful of that for you. I know we can chat a whole lot more about this, but I, I have to be respectful of your time. I appreciate here's one, it. Here's one thing I got to I, I do, though. With every guest, I say, you know, if I got hit by a bus or I developed temporary amnesia and somebody came up to you and said, well, what was that conversation all about? How would you summarize the podcast? You know, how would you answer that to somebody? This podcast is about doing and beginning the personal work that's required to do your best professional work. It's about counting the cost of what does it actually mean to advance more inclusive and equitable experiences within the workplace and the rest of society. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I really appreciate you coming on. I do want to ask too, is there anything that you want to share with folks that we didn't specifically talk about in the, in the episode? Yeah. I mean, I'll say, I mean, we're recording this right now. It's almost end of April. We do have our, excuse me, we do have our May cohort coming up. Registration closes on May 7th. We do, we will have another live uh, cohort in September. But in the meantime, we do have a self-paced version of that humanity-centered masterclass. So you can do that on your own time, your own schedule. And we are currently creating that course called Healing Conversations, a guide to addressing unspoken hardships in the workplace. And that will be available probably end of June-ish. And so we would love for you to check us out at humanitycenter.com. Would love to have you join one of our live cohort experiences or sign up for one of the self-paced courses and join the community that way. Awesome. And we'll make sure we have links to all that stuff. So, you know, if you're listening to the show and you're on the page, uh, actually listening to that, just scroll down. We'll have links to that in the show notes and you'll be able to find Humanity Center. You'll be able to find Vivian. She's not all that difficult to find, especially if you just simply Google it. So awesome. You know, hey, just thanks again. Really appreciate you taking the time. Really enjoyed the conversation and happy to have a chance to have you on as a guest. Of course. Thanks for thinking of me and giving me space to speak with you. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the research and insights tool that helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place so you can go from data to insights to action faster and easier. Check out Aurelius for yourself with a 30-day trial by going to AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you would give us a review on iTunes to let others know what you think. You can catch all new episodes of the Aurelius podcast almost anywhere you listen to podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, and more. Stay up to date when new episodes come out by signing up for our email updates on our website.